All right. So we are up to point E of unit three of God's economics. Point E, I think everybody's going to like the title of this, but it is God is generous. So we're going to look at various ways that the scripture reveals how generous, just how generous and abundant and giving God is. This is his nature. It is in God's nature to give. And he get when he gives, he gives big. God God is not stingy at all. So if you want to consider yourself a generous person, start by comparing yourself not to somebody else. Compare yourself to God, and you'll start to feel like Ebenezer Scrooge because God is just that abounding in generosity. So let's take a look. Eden, we talked about this. The Garden of Eden reveals the generosity of God. God created the whole world. God did all the work. He did all the hard work. He created everything. He created everything to multiply and self-sustain and continue on in perpetuity. And then he gave it all away as a free gift to mankind. He gave it all away. And the kicker to that is that even in advance, he knew that mankind was going to mess it all up. But he still gave it as a free gift anyway. So those of you who are out there working hard and you're saying, well, I worked hard for this and I'm not going to give it. They didn't do anything. All right. You're not as generous as God yet. That's it. God did all the work. And he gave it away as a free gift, and it gave him great joy to do so. But let's take a look at just how splendid the Garden of Eden Inn is and what riches are there. So we're in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pichon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. And so it goes on. So out of this garden, this abundant paradise place that God has placed mankind, who he's going to give a command and and enter into relationship with, there is a river. There is one river that flows from the garden of God. And you, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you're going to want to jump on that and say there's a river that flows from the city of God. Yep, you've got the picture. This is the original version of that. There's a river that flowed out of the garden of God, and that river gave life to all things around it. And it spread, it divided from being one river, it divided into four different rivers and began to water all of the territories in the area, including there are other territories in the scripture passage that continues. We don't have that in the study guide. What I really wanted to emphasize here is that in the land of Havilah, there is gold, all right? And gold, the gold, it's not just any crummy gold that you can like, you know, pick off the street. This is gold. It's good gold, high quality gold. 
and precious stones are there. And so Eden, it's not just paradise that there's pleasant food, that everything is beautiful to look at, but there are also materials of high value there. This is the gift that God gave. He made it all, and he gave it all away as a free gift. All right, so you've got the picture. That's how Eden reveals the generosity of God. Another picture that reveals the generosity of God is the promised land. The promised land, remember, we talked about if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings are going to come upon you and overtake you, right? God was like, if you do things my way, you're not going to be able to stop the blessing that comes upon you. But God also, through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he made clear that the land that God was sending his people into was a good, good land and that he would bless them in the land. So Moses talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So remember, the Israelites, they did not get the promised land because they were so good. God made that abundantly clear. You're not getting this because you're good. You are stubborn and stiff-necked, and you've been rebellious since the beginning. But you're getting this because I loved your ancestors and I made a promise to them that they would be restored to this land. This is the land that I promised to them. Now, this land starts to sound very, very similar to Eden. And if you've done your homework, if you believe as I do, I do not believe that the Garden of Eden was off in Mesopotamia at the joining of the Tigris and the Euphrates. I believe the whole Bible from beginning to end is about Jerusalem and Eden and the paradise of God. Eden was in what we know of today as the land of Israel. The promised land was God restoring his people to Eden. It was a land like what is described in Eden, where there is precious, precious stones in the hills, where there is no lack. It is a land that God has formed, that God takes care of, just like he planted the garden in Eden. God is the one who looks after the promised land, and he gives it away as a free gift. The Israelites, they did not earn it through their excellent battle strategies. God gave it to them as their inheritance because they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to whom he had promised it. So it's a good land. There is abundance in the land. There are precious stones and every kind of precious metal in the land, and God is the one who blesses the land. So God also 
In the context of working with his old covenant people, David also understood that the provision of God, it God is generous towards him and looks out for him. In Psalm 23, this will be very familiar verses, but consider the implications of what this means according to or looking through the lens of God's economics. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hallelujah. If the Lord is our shepherd, we will have no lack. We will have no lack. God, the owner of the whole world, he is the one looking out for us the same way that a shepherd looks out for his sheep. A sheep is very valuable to a shepherd. The shepherd knows that the sheep needs to eat if it's going to live. The sheep needs provision and safety and protection if it's going to live. The Lord is our shepherd. We are his sheep. We shall not want because God is generous. God is good to his people. And David goes on, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness, God's mercy follows his sheep wherever we go. The Lord is our shepherd. He looks out for us. He's not holding a grudge against us. He loves us, and he takes good care of us when we place our faith in him. And Proverbs also says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. This is Proverbs 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Hallelujah. So if you've ever been in... um a situation in my where I come from, we call this the golden handcuffs, where it's it looks like it's a really great gift, but actually by giving you this gift, I'm now putting you in bondage to doing things my way. So we call that the golden handcuffs, okay? But God, he doesn't have golden handcuffs like that. When God gives a gift, he gives it away freely, just like with Eden and the whole of creation. He gave it away as a free gift knowing in advance that people were going to mess it up. When God gives a gift, he adds no sorrow to it. He doesn't add it with a catch. You know, like you'll hear songs about people who made a deal with the devil and they get blessed and they become famous and all of these things happen. But there's always a catch. You got to sell your soul and there's some kind of misery that comes along with it. Well, according to the song, the song's not trying to hide who's behind that deal. That's the way the devil cuts a deal. The way God does things is different than that. God gives it out of love, out of generosity of heart, because he is good, because he is loving, because he is generous. Okay, so the New Covenant also reveals the generosity of God. God's lavish mercy. So David talked about the goodness and mercy of God. But, oh my goodness, for Jesus to come and redeem us from sin, from the record of wrongs that stood against us, to wipe away the debt of sin that remained before him so that we could not enter into the presence of God, so that we deserved the curse and we deserved 
deserved lack and we deserved every kind of infirmity and injustice against us. But God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, the generosity, he who gave his own son, how much more will he not give us graciously, generously give us all things? God removed through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, he removed all all causes of lack. The new covenant is the most generous thing that God could have ever done. Jesus offering his life, God in the flesh on the cross, offering his own life for us. How generous is that? That is the most generous thing that anyone has ever done in the history of mankind. Hallelujah. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, yes, for those of you who are, you know, strongly anti-prosperity preaching, I know that that just said, blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But Just remember that by being blessed with every spiritual blessing, Jesus has also redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus has redeemed us from every cause of lack. That is part of a spiritual blessing of being reconnected and in right standing, in right relationship with the God who created Eden, with the God who gave the promised land to his people. But let's be clear. We're going to jump to verse 7. In him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So that is really where the real riches are. It's not money. It's not stuff. But the fact that Jesus shed his blood so that we can be redeemed from the curse, that we can be forgiven of our sins, which keeps us as enemies of God. That is the most generous thing, according to the riches of his grace, his outpoured charity, his outpoured benevolence towards us. So up to verse 8, which he lavished upon us. He didn't give it out stingy. He didn't give it out, oh, here's a little drop for you and a little drop for you and maybe a little half a drop for you. And, oh, I like you today, so I'll give you two drops. No, he... Pours it out, pours it out like a waterfall, lavishing it upon us, lavishing his riches upon us, the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven, and things on earth. So God's ultimate purpose is to bring heaven and earth together, that it would be like Eden restored. Eden was a place where man and God walked together and talked together, and everything worked according to God's original design. Heaven and earth were united together as one. And in Christ, that is still God's ultimate purpose and design. 
But it is only through the shed blood of Jesus for our redemption that we will ultimately enter into the world to come, which is when God will restore all things and heaven and earth will again be united. We're going to talk about that in a second. But until then, we still have the riches of God's grace poured out on us, whether we are in material abundance or whether we are in material uh, lack or we don't seem to have a lot uh, going for us financially or materially. We can be content because we have everything that we need. We have every spiritual blessing that God has lavished upon us. And we know that now as the sheep of the Lord, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. We have a father, a good father, a loving heavenly father that now because of the shed blood of Jesus can call us his children and he will be faithful to look after us and provide what we need. The connection to him is everything. Through the new covenant, we've been restored to the one who created Eden. This is awesome. Just amazingly awesome. But it gets better. In the world to come, in the new Jerusalem, the city that will descend from God, the righteous will dwell with God forever. This is the picture of Eden restored. But in this place, and you'll start to notice it's very similar language to what was described of for Eden, but the place, the walls are made of precious stones, the, the streets are paved with gold, the city is made out of pure gold, that everything in this land is what would be considered on earth highly, highly valuable. And this is the new world, the world to come, that God is going to give to us as his as children, as believers, as followers of Jesus, he's going to give this to us as a free gift, just like he gave Eden to Adam and Eve as a free gift. Let's take a look at what it includes. Revelation 21, starting with verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Wow, is that not opulent? Is that not even better than the description of the promised land? I mean, if God makes gold into pavement, then how much more amazing and bountiful will the world to come be? So God is generous. God is not a stingy guy. It is his great delight to give generously to his people. So this next point here, just quickly, point F, godliness with contentment is great 
gain. So we're trying to get into this new covenant mentality that whether we have a lot or a little, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we have been reconnected through the blood of Jesus in the new covenant to the God who owns everything and generously provides and cares for those who look to him and who believe in him. So being connected to the God who made Eden, who made all of creation and who sovereignly controls all of the resources in the world. If we're connected to him, which we are in the new covenant through the blood of Jesus, then we have nothing to fear. We have everything going for us. Even if our bank account is empty, we're connected to the one who owns the whole world. We have nothing to fear if we are connected to him. So Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he talks about godliness with contentment being great gain. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But in the context, he's talking about false teachers and how false teachers are, they're, you know, talking about God and they're using the scripture and they're using the scripture incorrectly and they don't even really know what they're talking about. But really what they're trying to do is they're trying to look like they have some special knowledge and they're trying to look like they have the wisdom that's going to advance you in life, that's going to make you rich. Ah, now, if you do this, then God's going to bless you. If you do that, then God's going to pour out his blessing on you. Okay, now that might sound familiar to you because there are people, there were people in Paul's day that preached that way. There are people today that preach that way. But Paul is saying to Timothy, those people, they're false teachers. They imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And Paul says very, very clearly, they understand nothing. Okay, it couldn't be more clear. They understand nothing. They don't know what they're talking about. They do not have a grasp of the scripture. They do not have an understanding of what Jesus really died to do for us and to give to us. Paul's saying they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. But now Paul enters in, this is verse six again, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So you remember, we talked before about Matthew 6 and how he's talking about the birds and the grass, and we talked about how Jesus said, like, hey, don't let a blade of grass have more faith than you do. You know, the the pagans, they're always looking out for what am I going to eat and what am I going to wear, right? That's food and clothing. But as long as we have food and God is going to provide food and clothing as long as we're seeking first his kingdom. That's easy stuff for God. It's a great delight for him to provide these things for us. And if we have those things, then we have all we need. We don't need more than that. We don't need to use God to get ahead to get more stuff for ourselves. In fact, our lives need to be directed in the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, not advancing our own desires, our own will, or our own wealth and building ourselves. Godliness with contentment is great gain. To be connected to God, to be conformed to his image, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. These are the things. When you're growing in these things and you have contentment in God, you come to a place of realizing nothing else matters. Godliness with contentment is the greatest gain that you will ever experience in your life. If you have that, you don't need anything else. But the author of the writer of the book of Hebrews, he says it a little bit differently. Um, He takes it to a, a whole new level. Now, Paul, in his letters to Timothy, he does talk about how the love of money is the root of all evil. But we're talking right now about contentment. So the, the writer of the letter of Hebrews, he talks about in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hallelujah. And that's a quote from Psalm 27. Hallelujah. And other Psalms say pretty much the same thing. But the Lord is saying, I will never leave you. Jesus said, I am with you even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Well, if we're connected to the one who has all authority in heaven and earth and under the earth, who owns everything, we don't, we, our love needs to be for him. We don't need to love money. We cannot serve both God and money. We need to keep our life free from the love of money or from thinking that money is the answer to our problems. We need to be content with what we have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. Why? Because we have the greatest treasure of all. The greatest treasure of all is not silver or gold or iron or copper or precious stones or gates of pearl. The greatest treasure of all is Jesus. It is Jesus. If we have Jesus, we have everything. And he said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So let us be content. Let us keep our lives free from the love of money, from chasing after money, from thinking that money is God or that money is the answer. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the answer. And if we are with him, then he is with us. And he said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake forsake you, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. Nothing. 